0: How's it going? Welcome back to the Movie Millennium Podcast, episode number six, officially in effect. Uh, hope you're doing well, as always. Welcome to any new listeners, many of whom appear to be accidentally stumbling onto the podcast, like uh, like drunks out of a pub. Glad to have you, two drink minimum. Just wanted to let you all know that I've about another week before university kicks in. So it's going to be interesting to see how I'm going to balance that with the podcast. Look, it's it's hard to guesstimate what third year of psychology is going to bring. Honestly, it could be super hectic or not that busy at all. Um, I also have to balance a social life with that, you know, clubs and societies. Um, but I'll make the effort to keep these going until I just can't anymore. Uh, I have my own priorities, as we all do. I'm sure you can understand Um, it sounds like I'm about to deliver heartfelt news about a murdered family member or something. Oh yeah, I'm sorry to tell you this, but uh, your podcast has been shot dead. I'm not saying the podcast is over. I'm just saying that I'll have to see how consistently I'm going to be able to upload new episodes. Um, anyways, today I decided I'd talk about a horror movie because, and I can't remember if I ever mentioned this, But originally, I wanted this podcast to talk only about horror movies. Um, It's a bit too niche. Obviously, that's not what we do here. But in the spirit of changing times, let's have a look at what could have been and look at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and why humanity is so friggin' obsessed with serial killers. It's hard to believe that Texas Chainsaw is so old. Like, it's a very, very old movie. It was made in the 70s. Uh, 1974 to be exact and I think it was on a budget of less than 150 grand or something like that but it's become so epitomized as a horror movie Uh, you know we've had new sequels and prequels and spin-offs which continue to be made and all of them are mostly pretty bad (laughs) but the original movie which caused a big stir when it was released is so terrifying and horrific without being overly violent. Uh, Anybody that watches old 80s action movies, you know, with Steven Seagal, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Schwarzenegger, even the Rocky movies, those movies, in my opinion, are actually far more violent than The Texas Chainsaw Massacre was, which I feel most people overlook. The reason it's so terrifying in my opinion, and I think the opinion of most other people, is because it comes across as just realistic enough to feel like it could actually happen. And also the chase scenes are great. You know, horror movies, they need to bring back the idea of a chase and go easy with the cheap jump scares, you know, which is all a horror movie is nowadays. But um, the cool thing is this movie and the main antagonist, Leatherface, who's on the cover art, uh, which took me not that long to make. I'm getting much better at making them. I'm also getting lazier too, but uh, see if you can spot the mistakes. Leatherface was loosely based on a real-life southern United States serial killer, Ed Gein, or Gein, I think it's Gein, Um, a real-life bona fide killer who was active during the 1940s and and, and 50s, I think, in Wisconsin, USA. I don't know where Wisconsin is, I just like the sound of it. Um, I don't like the sound of Ed Gein, though. Um... (laughs) Even though he didn't wear a mask or chase teenagers through the woods with a chainsaw, he did make masks from people. And one thing that he did do that inspired some scenes in the finished movie was use the remains of his victims and exhumed bodies from a nearby cemetery around the house. So he made waste baskets out of people. He made bowls out of human skulls. He made belts, lampshades, Uh, the list goes on. You can find very grotesque books and documentaries on Ed Gein um or under his moniker the Plainfield Ghoul you know and that's this is that's really the point of this episode the fact that there are thousands of hours worth of documentary footage about Ed Gein and these types of people hundreds of books I don't even know how many movies I'm I'm gonna say dozens it could be hundreds of movies that almost glorify these people and Texas Chainsaw is one of those movies that emerged during the 1970s in the US where it was serial killer city over there, right? Do me a favor, either now you can pause this or, you know, do it in your own time. Google serial killers in the US and you're gonna find an alphabetical list of all the serial killers that were caught in the US. It's a very, 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 very long list. And most of them were active during the 70s and early 80s, including but not limited to Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, the Zodiac Killer, the Son of Sam, Jeffrey Dahmer. And it was the decade that led to the development of a branch of science within the FBI, the Behavioral Analysis Unit. Uh, If you wanna get a a feel for what they do, go watch Criminal Minds, the TV show. Um, A new interest in psychology, emerged from these people on why some individuals who look normal and talk normal um, highly educated intelligent individuals can commit horrendous crimes it's also the decade that produced these classic slasher films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre Um, there's a false premise I feel in modern media serial killers wear scary masks and they look big and burly and look demented but oftentimes what we see with serial killers of the past and i guess of the present is that many of them come across as meek and mild ordinary friendly joe soaps all right i was watching a youtube video it was uh was it a variety thing they had a criminologist um on their YouTube channel, a very eminent criminologist. He's interviewed dozens of psychopaths, quote unquote, um, and you know he he was very candid in what he thought about these kind of people. He called them losers. You know, they, he was like, oh, they they can't hold jobs. You know, they were bullied as kids. They were walked all over in the workplace. They were incredibly awkward people, incredibly awkward with the opposite sex. They couldn't, you know, be with women. They or you know, I'm just, there are female serial killers. I'm just saying most of them are men. Uh, They have very mundane lives. They have very unsatisfying, romantic and platonic relationships. They had average or below average intelligence, but they had this huge inflated ego where they felt they were apex human beings. So for all of their faults, which they ignored, they replaced these faults with hugely idealized, uh, non-accurate depictions of themselves. Um, So regardless of someone else's race or culture or income, these types of people would just look down on them anyway simply because they felt so detached from humanity because of their own inflated ego. Um, You do have serial killers with different circumstances, like Ed Gein, who was deemed criminally insane and suffered from schizophrenia as well as other illnesses. He was not a healthy guy. Um, You have these types of people who aren't actually in control of what they're doing or can't rationalize at all with themselves. Um, they don't understand their own thoughts and the world around them. So why would these people be um, adored in the media as they as they were and as they continue to be? You also have very psychopathic individuals with no remorse. They've no empathy. They've had a, a history of child abuse that causes them to act violently as opposed to other people who have no remorse and no empathy but don't kill people. The reasons for why quote-unquote psychopaths we don't really use that term anymore the reason they are the way they are is very much split 50 50 between nature and nurture and they're still trying to figure it all out nowadays we don't really use psychopaths that much as most quote-unquote psychopaths have different characteristics that set them apart from their peers It's seen as more of a spectrum now, as most things are slowly being viewed as in psychology. This is called today antisocial personality disorder. Basically, someone with antisocial personality disorder, and that's a a small percentage of the human population, luckily, uh, someone with this disorder has an abnormal brain compared to a healthy brain, right? They have a different brain to us. Not completely different, but a few small differences that make a big impact. Um, Scientists have taken brain scans of people with the disorder and they found less gray matter around the areas of the brain responsible for emotion regulation, uh, adaptive learning, emotion response, their limbic system, which is a part of the brain that controls how you react to stressors and different types of stressors. Essentially, someone with this disorder has brain damage um, and they may react incredibly aggressively to perceived threats and have little emotional distress while doing so. Uh, Serial killers often murder people that remind them in some way of some abuser in their childhood. And this produces an aggressive response, a violent outcome for the victim and no guilt or remorse whatsoever from the killer. With that being said, right? By technicality, aren't all crimes in some way explained by extenuating circumstances? Because you could say, "Oh, you know, oh well, the, you know, the reason that guy vandalized the house is because they've issues with authority and they're hyperactive and have had little guidance." Oh, and that person over there, well, they got arrested for drunk driving because they're an addict and they can't help themselves. Oh, and that person tried to blow up a building because they're paranoid and they believe they're going to be set free from their perceived captivity if this happens. This person killed all of these people because of a combination of gene mutation that resulted in an abnormal brain structure, and they also had child abuse that compels them to kill, right? This is where I get confused because... People who are fascinated by serial killers often say, oh, and I've actually said this before, (laughs) Uh, present company included, oh yeah, we need to study them because they're a wealth of information about emotion and the human brain. Well, you know, every mental illness reveals part of the human mind that we didn't know about before. Every single one not all of them are studied as extensively as quote-unquote psychopaths are simply because of a lack of public interest and therefore a lack of available funding for research. Now, a lot of people are gonna have issues with what I just said there, but I believe studying the brains of alcoholics, just for example, could reveal a treasure trove of information about, about the brain, right? Take brain scans of alcoholics Or people with depression or anxiety or anything could tell you a lot about the brain as well. Why are serial killers given the priority in the public? Because alcohol and depression have killed vastly more than serial killers have. There's not even a compa- like there's no competition. So you can't use the argument, oh well studying more about serial killers may prevent future deaths. That doesn't work because alcohol and depression kill way more I, I have no clue what the statistics are on that um and depending where you are or what country or the age group it could be very very different um look i think the reason behind all of this uh obsession it, it's a natural animal response from society let me explain an evolutionary need to understand what we don't understand, right? To normal functioning humans for us, of which there are many of us, the fact that there could be people around us, people we might know that could be very close to us even, that are capable of violent crimes is pretty scary, right? There's these unknown people, or there are these known people. There could be, your best friend could be a potential serial killer, right? So wouldn't it be better if you could spot the signs, if there were any signs? And as a species, I'd say humans are the only one that has to worry about antisocial members of the Homo sapiens club that attack and prey on their own. Any species whereby a natural predator emerged and evolved to only prey on members of that species, I tell you, that species wouldn't and couldn't survive for long. They would die out. So for example, just take the dodo birds. If dodo birds evolved to become predatorial and hunt other dodos for sport, the dodo would have gone extinct regardless of whether humans had interfered or not. Or if you take chimpanzees, can you imagine if like 10% of chimpanzees evolved to become chimp predators and only killed chimps? It It wouldn't take long for chimps to be completely wiped out. And we humans are lucky that only a tiny percentage of humans have this aggressive, violent, antisocial streak that compels people to kill more people. Um, they're not apex predators. You know, it's important to realize that serial killers are what they are. They're just human. They're not apex predators. They're not supernatural boogeymen or gods like they would believe themselves to be. They're brain damage victims, victims of a specific brain abnormality and victims of child abuse that exacerbated and propelled them to commit violence. The only, excuse me, the only mystery involved with these people is who they are before they're caught uh, or like, when are they gonna do something? With, uh, With serial killers, right? They often prey on random victims or victims of convenience. So hitchhikers, prostitutes, people who make the wrong turn down a dark footpath, right? It's rare that the killer has a set of self-prescribed targets. They're not going from a list of, well, I'm, you know, it's going to be my next door neighbor first, and then I'm going to get the postman, and then the milkman, and then the guy at the shop, because they'd be caught really, really quickly, you know? Um, so in the eye of the public, anyone is a potential victim for a serial killer. Combine that with the fact that serial killers who have these super strong fantasies about the intense uh, emotions murder will bring up in them, they often feel intensely disappointed with how little the murder does for them, right? So they spend hours, days, weeks, maybe even years. I think the BTK killer was an example of somebody who was waiting for, I think, a, a decade to actually start killing. And they hype themselves up and they hype the act up And when they eventually do it, oh, it's very anticlimactic. It never lives up to the hype. But rather than just stop there, they don't give up. They develop an insatiable need for the next murder. And they have an obsession with the next killing. And they do the next killing, oh, it's anticlimactic again. Never mind, the next one will be even better. So obviously, the public views serial killers as these compulsive violent murderers who kill at random um, people who provide compelling adrenaline rush inducing stories in newspapers you know in the media um and what's worrying and i think this is why the public often sort of like hype these people up um they're not motivated by any discernible motivations (laughs) they're not motivated by motivations you know what i mean they're not motivated by money or love or revenge um, so I'm, I'm just thinking now. I'm thinking of that Michael Caine quote from that movie from Batman. Say, like, oh, M- Master Bruce, uh, some men don't want money or power. Some men just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> That's not a very good uh, impression, but um, I did my best. But just look how... Look how mundane and ordinarily boring the social scene is. I mean, I, I mean, like the social landscape, the world around us. It's pretty ordinary, right? This idea of an unknown human predator, who's often given a very colorful name like the Son of Sam, the ABC Killer. Uh, I was reading about Alligator Man yesterday, the Night Stalker. Almost like uh, supervillain nicknames. And you combine all of these things, and you've got a very hard-to-not-be-enticed-by situation. Um, one weird thing, and this you're going to like this, one weird thing that emerged from the work of incarcerating and studying serial killers was this idea of um the sexual attraction to people who have committed violent crimes. That's a real thing. Uh it's not a sexuality, uh it's a paraphilia. So a little I guess quirk. It's not even I don't I don't even know what you it's paraphilia, right? Ted Bundy, the most notorious serial killer of all time, mainly because he appeared super normal and was quite intelligent to the unsuspecting world, and he also killed like forty women, I think. He received tons of fan mail letters and marriage proposals from women who were well aware of what he did but seemed to be pretty seduced by that, right? Um, Research on these women, uh, I I should say research was done on these women because people were worried about obsessed fans who might want to replicate the crimes of the person they obsessed over, so that's why they wanted to get to know them better. It's a reasonable assumption. Research found that a lot of these fans, most of whom were women, had little self-esteem, and often felt invisible in society, right? They felt misunderstood, and they have this notion that they have something in common with the serial killer, who, nine times out of ten, reports child abuse. And these women feel like they can relate on some level, that nobody else can with the serial killer. And they go as far as to believe they can change these hardened, violent killers. Through love and understanding. Many of these fans have this parental instinct, almost. They report seeing the inner child within the killer. The part that needed love as a child. And they seek to nurture this part of the killer. That, that's kind of strange to me. Um, because they, they can physically see the inner child in the killer. Whatever that means. Yeah, it... <laughs> Take that as you will, but to me that suggests maybe a creepy romantic predilection for children but projected onto violent adults. (laughs) Pretty weird stuff. But another hilarious thing... Is hilarious the right word? Like, this is weird stuff, but another quirky thing, in my opinion, about these fans is that they know the killer they're talking to will never see... The outside of a cell while they're alive if you're a serial killer you're going to probably be given a life sentence for everyone you kill so if you kill three people which is a pretty small number compared to some of the record holders that there are in the world you're going to be in prison for three lifetimes prison is boring right there's little to well i wouldn't know i've never been there but <laughs> <laughs> I, I watch a lot of TV shows where prison is involved. So, like, there's little to do in prison, uh, especially when the press uh, lose interest in you, the media stops making movies about you, psychologists and criminologists don't want to visit you anymore because you're no longer interesting. And what, and you're no longer interesting, and what you did is all documented. There's no more mystery, right? So all you have is you, your cell, and your mind. These fans feel comforted by this because they know that these killers will have no choice but to think about them. And there's no chance of another woman coming into the picture. So it's like the perfect long-distance relationship, isn't it? It's like you've got commitment, you've got obsession, you've got forced loyalty, you've got time consistency. What more would you need? (laughs) Don't take that seriously. That's not what a healthy... uh, (laughs) That's not a healthy... Dating anyone who doesn't um, love you, regardless of the circumstances, isn't a good idea. But what's important? Here's what's important, right? For anyone listening that might be tempted to reach out to convicted homicidal murderers, what's important to remember is that these people do not feel love of any kind, regardless of what they say. They don't feel it. They don't feel the full spectrum of emotions like we do. They don't feel guilt. They have no remorse. They don't feel love. They don't feel joy. They don't feel happiness. Any emotion that we take for granted, they don't have. They're severely limited in what they can feel. What they do feel, though, is anger. They understand anger more than anything. These are people who can fly off the handle and show intense rage out of nowhere they feel bored they feel competitive excitement they feel humiliation typically they feel negative emotions that's not to say they don't understand emotion and a lot of these people really do understand emotion even though they can't feel it and they have to understand emotion they have to blend into society And in order to do that, they have to understand emotions and replicate things like friendliness, trustworthiness, interest, good manners, without feeling the emotions behind these behaviors. So for all the fascination that society has for these physically and emotionally damaged people, for all the adoration and love their fans have for them, they feel nothing for the rest of us. Absolutely nothing. We're objects to these people. If they had the chance, many of them wouldn't even think twice to kill us off. If there's two people left in the world and one of them is a psychopath, very quickly there's only going to be one person left on the planet Uh, a quick tangent right there's a youtube channel called megan f that's m-e-g-a-n-e-f-f it's run by a woman from the u.s and what's interesting about her i'm sure there's a lot of interesting things about her i'm just going to pick out one interesting thing about her she is dating someone with antisocial personality disorder. Mm, mm, -mm. And I've seen, (laughs) I've seen a few of their videos and I'm always creeped out by her boyfriend, if I'm being honest. Um, Looking, let me put it this way, right? You can tell me yourself, if you go and look at some of these videos, look into his eyes and it's like looking into two ice cubes. In a lot of videos, he he keeps trying to remind people. He says a lot of things like, I'm not a super villain. And he says it like that, you know, while smiling super creepily. And, you know, she's worse in my opinion. She's nuts to me because she knew what she was getting herself into. She knew exactly what was wrong with this guy. She knows that he can't feel any empathy or any sympathy or love for her but she thought oh well sure why not (laughs) she (laughs) she maintains herself she keeps she this is like a mantra she says this a lot oh he's not a real psychopath because he just doesn't fit the narrative of what a psychopath is i guess that means right i guess that means that translates into i love him because he doesn't commit violence but I mean, okay, but where are the standards? Would you, like, why would you settle down with someone like that? Someone who could hurt you without a second thought or concern. Someone who is incredibly manipulative. Why would you have a child with them as she has? All right, I'm pretty sure they have, They either have one child or multiple children. Oh yeah, and um, FYI, he went to prison for something. I'm not sure what it was, probably wasn't very good, probably illegal but this kind, of, <laughs> this kind of disorder is highly inheritable. Is it highly heritable? Highly inheritable? It can be passed on quite easy. And a parent that can't love a child often produces a loveless child themselves. But I guess in today's nutcase society, we have to accept everyone for who they are. Well, there, let me tell you this. There's a difference between accepting and embracing, right? I'm given some, some social commentary here because I was on a an episode of a podcast a couple of days ago it's called the actually do you know what podcast and that's a highly political podcast and those them two lads give their opinions i'm giving mine right now i'll accept someone as having a disorder that makes them highly capable of hurting others manipulating others killing others okay yeah fine i'll accept it but i'm not going to be buddies with them I'm not going to date them. I'm not going to marry them and have a child with them. If I can help it, I won't be even... I'm not going to be on a first-name basis with them. I don't want to be in the same town as these kind of people. I don't want to be in the same country with someone like this. They don't feel empathy anyways or happiness. So what do they need my company for? (laughs) Right? You know what I mean? Now, I'm going to go on another slight tangent here, right? But this channel that I'm talking about, Megan F, has made one or two woke videos with titles like, oh, it's not enough to be non-racist, you have to be anti-racist. You have to love some races more than your own race, right? Stupid stuff like that, you know? Why are we still talking about race in 2021? They've done the whole um, YouTube apology thing with, oh, it's not my fault, I'm mentally ill. Oops, I'm gonna burst into tears. You know, remember that tried and tried nonsense that dominated uh, the 2018s and the constant stream of YouTuber apology videos that made tons of money back in the day. This whole channel has done it all. And I think it's hilarious that someone like this, an influencer, Megan F., who would be part of society, that has made strides to remove labels and ignore the individual differences between people. It's hilarious to me that this person loves labels when it applies to them and their quote unquote mental illnesses and their unique lifestyle, um, simply because it makes them feel more unique and (laughs) They make attempts to put out a social commentary using labels and contradictory slogans to make the world a better place while dating someone that doesn't give a damn about them. So it's sort of like paint rainbows and clouds and sing songs about a lovely life While also being in love with someone that could kill you in your sleep and then go and sleep like a baby. (laughs) I think it's somewhat darkly reflective of the people today that cry out for change while simultaneously doing nothing but causing harm. We see today that advocacy for change is becoming more and more of an attention seeking behavior for some people who take 20,000 selfies paint their bodies and make vlogs of their protests, make a profit from their behavior and the little that they say. When they inevitably do something hypocritical and completely against what they claimed to have stood for, they make a half-assed apology video where they use labels and their personal struggles, or the struggles they have experienced for looking the way they do. All excuses all excuses for being one thing, superficial. That's just plain old manipulation, pure and simple. It's fake emotion, artificial remorse, and weirdly enough, pretty antisocial. I'm gonna drop a bomb on you here right now, or I'm gonna end this on uh, a low note. (laughs) Anybody that claims to want to make change or any business or company or politician or religious institution that comes out with these big promises and these big ideas, history has shown us that, well, society doesn't change all that much. And if it changes, it changes for the worse. It's because people don't really care unless they're getting paid. And I think the real reason people are so obsessed with serial killers is because they see aspects of themselves reflected in these people brutal honesty, human honesty, it's actually pretty funny. (laughs) So what I'm trying to say is please don't fall for these influencers who use their charm and their manipulation and who do and say things that hurt others or go against what they initially tried to do, you know, and feel no remorse about it. Don't listen to these people. If you want to do good, Just go out and do good, just be nice, don't go hurting anybody, and you're already doing far better than these so-called influencers and politicians and anyone who is getting paid to do and say what they do. I think money is really the only incentive nowadays (laughs) to do good, but if you can find it within yourself to do good, then do good. Um, And that's it for today, (laughs) he said. (laughs) <laughs> feeling proud of himself. Go out... Go uh, go check out Texas Chainsaw Massacre if you want. Actually, it's THE Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah. I'm used to saying it like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But, you know, go watch it. But only after you followed the Movie Millennium podcast on Instagram if you haven't already. Give the podcast a follow here on Spotify because you're worth it. Um he said using his superficial charm hey well hey i'm not getting paid for this i'm not getting paid to say any of this so uh you can listen to me i'm telling the truth but anyways i'll try and see what the story is for next week's podcast because i'm going to be back in college soon so i'll see how it goes thanks again for listening uh i'm gonna head back and finish off writing that love letter to the btk killer i'll see you when i see you bye for now